right. And today we have Lauren Gomez. Thank you so much for joining me. Thank you, Taylor. I'm Uh, super excited to be here. I'm excited to have you. So can you start out just giving your background, like what you do, Mm -hmm. where you went to school, that kind of a thing? Yeah, absolutely. So I am from Arkansas. I moved here to Nashville about a year and a half ago. And I have my bachelor's in education and then my master's in clinical mental health science. And then I've started my doctorate. Um, but haven't gone back in a while with that. But yeah, so I've been a therapist and the business that I have is Soul Fit Counseling and it's here in Nashville. And then I still have clients in Arkansas as well. Okay. So what do you have to do to become a licensed therapist? So you get your master's in counseling and then also there's the social work route. You could take that route if you'd like, but I liked the counseling route for me personally. Um, and then you'll have a national counselor exam and then you'll have other little exams and stuff like that too. But it's usually about three to four years of schooling past your bachelor's. And is that the, um, LSCW? Is that? That's for social work. So ours is the NCE, the national counselor exam. Okay. Okay. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I know a little bit, but yeah. it's, it's something that's unfamiliar to me because like my Aunt Janie, we were talking yeah, about yeah, it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. She, she's a, um, I think she's, she's definitely, she's do- a doctor. Okay. I think she's a, a, like a, officially like a psychologist and she does okay. like a lot of work in the court system and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. And she has her own private practice as well. Yeah. So I wonder what she has her master's in. I don't know. Okay. So it could be social work or it could be um, counseling. Yeah. So. I'll have to ask her that. Yeah. That's, a, that's honestly a good question to ask her. Mm-hmm. So um, one thing I wanted to start out talking about a little bit was mm-hmm. self-worth. Mm-hmm. What is self-worth? I love that question. So for me, self-worth is not based on anything external. It's based internally. So I like to tell my clients that they can use this word interchangeably, but it's based on your connection to source energy, um, God, spirit, whatever you'd like to use there. And to me, to tap into that, I do a meditation with my clients and they know it's called the functional adult or your highest self. And so that's not based on what does Taylor think about me or what do these people think about me? It's just an internal process between you and your source, source energy. Okay. Mm-hmm. So with that, so, so is it like self-worth, it comes from the source energy, but what is it, mm-hmm. like, what is it exactly? Like, how would you describe mm-hmm. having a sense of self-worth? Hmm. Um, well, I mean, for me, and this is how I describe like what soul fit is, it's a balance of physical, mental, and spiritual health. And so physical being, you know, working out or doing things that make your body feel good. I know you love yoga. Yeah. Um, and then nutrition, obviously that's physical too. And then spiritual, it's whatever that means to you. So that could be your yoga, your meditation. Um, it could be church or anything along those lines. And then mental health. For me, I think therapy is amazing. Just anything that helps you if it's talking to a friend or reading a book that helps you mentally. Well, since COVID has happened, mm-hmm. the way more in the, the public consciousness now is the conversation about mental health. Mm-hmm. That's been, I think, one of the positives mm-hmm. of COVID. Mm-hmm. 
Uh, have have you seen like a change in your practice at all? Yeah, absolutely. I feel like the energy in the universe right now is unstable. So I feel like it causes us as humans to decide like, hey, we need to make sure internally we're as stable as we can be because this seems wild. <laughs> um, so I've seen, you know, people that are really struggling with some anxiety because of it. But for the most part, I have clients that are really excited to do the work and that really want to take care of themselves internally so that the external world doesn't feel so overwhelming. When COVID first started happening, I it was scary for about the first month just because mm-hmm. we didn't know what it was going to be yet mm-hmm. and if it was going to affect like children and every other person we mm-hmm. knew was going to die or something like that. But after some of the news came out that if you're young and you're healthy, you're not immunocompromised, more than likely you'll be okay. Mm-hmm. Um, I started getting excited by mm-hmm. the situation of 2020. Yeah. I didn't view it necessarily as a bad thing. I saw it as a very positive thing. Mm-hmm. It's like food poisoning almost. Yeah, We had been eating all this shit for years on end in the world and in America. Mm-hmm. But now it came to the point to where we were hurled over the toilet, mm-hmm. praying to God yeah. for it to end. Mm-hmm. And personally, I kind of enjoyed that. Yeah. Well, and I love the way you put that. And it's like it made us have to slow down and sit and reflect and be with just ourselves. I actually didn't stop working. So I was able to do telehealth sessions. And that's a big part of why I moved to Nashville is because I realized that I could do telehealth sessions and... Um, still work with my Arkansas people and then get my license here in Tennessee as well. Mm-hmm. So, Why did you move to, to Nashville? What, what, what about it drew you here? I actually did not know one person that lived here, but I knew that, so I'm in my year five. Um, spiritually, we have like nine years, like then we go in cycles. Mm-hmm. So your year five is when you're at a place where you're making a big transition. And I have a spiritual guide in Arkansas that I talked to, um, and she's awesome. She's really cool. And I went into her office one day, and I was like, hey, I've got to go. I'm moving to a new city. And she was like, I know. And I was like, what do you mean? She was like, you're in your year five. Like, you're going to make a crazy transition. And so I I had been to Nashville, and I loved it. So I checked out here, and then Austin, Texas kind of called to me a little bit too. Mm -hmm. But between the two, I came back to Nashville, and I was like, this is it. This is where I'm supposed to be. So, and now I've made friends and I did yoga teacher training here and I teach yoga in Church Street Park. So, yeah. What, when did you first start doing yoga and what do you like about it? I love yoga. So, I'm such a fast paced person that I needed yoga to slow me down. I started with one of my best friends, Audra, in Arkansas and it just really helped me to realize that it connects you to your internal system, to your source, if you choose that. Um, And just, it's an awesome practice. Um, So yeah, I love it. And then I teach for free in the park and, but not right now because it's so chilly, but back in March, it'll pop up again. Had you dealt with the, the snow really before you moved here? A little bit. So Arkansas is very similar to Nashville weather wise. So, but I hadn't experienced it here until last week. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It's crazy to always see it because the, the city will shut 
down. For sure. The shelves are bare. Yeah. Everybody's freaking out. Mm -hmm. Like you can feel it in the air when the snow is about to come. I had no idea. So thank God I live beside a grocery store. I think you know because you've. The, I give a lot of rides, so I yeah. can't always remember where I <laughs> so, dropped someone off at. Yeah, so he um, dropped me off in an Uber, and thank God I live beside a grocery store because I had no groceries when the snow hit, and I was like, oh, no. Yeah, it's definitely always chaotic. So what is your area of focus in your practice? I love that. So I've been a therapist since 2013, and I started working out with kids that were really low-income And I loved that so much. So just like helping those kiddos and helping their parents with figuring out like how to get them on a good path and make sure that they don't go down a bad track in life and that kind of thing. And then in 2017 or 18, I had a broken engagement and I was like, okay, I need to get in my own therapy. <laughs> and so then I found the therapy model that I do with my clients, and that is the PMLD post-trauma induction therapy model, and I love it. So what is it? Awesome. Good question. Um, so the model is there's actually an intensive that you can go to. So it's a week-long intensive, and I've done the intensive for myself, and then I've trained to be able to do an intensive. So it's a spiritual model, and it's based on looking at your history, looking at narratives that you may have from your past, from your parents, your caregivers. And this could even be stuff that you they didn't actually say to you, but it's messages that you got from them um, struggling with addiction or struggling with something going on and you just received a message of I'm not worthy because they're too busy or things like that. And so you look at all of that, you educate the client on the history and you help them figure out exactly what their narratives are that don't serve them. And then you reconnect them to their inner child to have that awareness of how precious and lovable the inner child is. And then you connect them to their functional adult. And I can dive into that in a second, too. Yeah, absolutely. Well, you brought a chart here today. Um, So Pia Melody, she's written a couple of very famous books in Mm -hmm. the love addiction circle. Mm -hmm. It's like, uh, I can't remember what they're called. Facing love addiction is great. Facing love addiction. Yeah, I wanted to say chasing love addiction. I'm close. (laughs) That one's good. Yeah. It's so cool that you know this stuff. I think that's really neat. Um, So that one and then facing codependence. Okay. Mm -hmm. So what is... This is a two-part question. Let's start out. What is love addiction? So love addiction is pretty much putting someone, I would say, above self and doing whatever it takes to to gain that. um, Like, I can matter if I can help you understand that you matter and be there for you enough. So it's almost like this obsession with another person Rather than taking care of yourself, staying in your lane, staying in your functional adult, and then being interdependent, it's like the love addict and then the love avoidant or codependent, you could call it. Drawn like magnets. Yeah, they're magnets to each other. Um, Because one is like, I I hope I can use this language, like wants Uh, to be like. Say whatever you want. Okay, wants to be like Captain Save a Bro um, or whatever. And the other person's like, yes, she needs to save me. Or vice versa, you know, yep. Captain Save a Ho, and he's like, yep, 
she should. Yeah. yeah. So, so that's kind of a part of it. And obviously that's going to lead to an unhealthy attachment and a very codependent relationship. What is codependency? Damn, dropping all the good questions. Um, okay, so codependence is when you don't have a healthy sense of self. When your okay. sense of self is intertwined with, and I didn't realize until I really dove into my own therapy that I was definitely codependent. So my narrative was, and I had no idea that this was my narrative, it was I matter if I can help you know that you matter. Interesting. Does that make sense? Yes, for sure. Well, it's interesting to me too because I feel like this manifests itself in different ways mm-hmm. in men and women and, and women mm-hmm. and in the confines of a ro- relationship. I feel like roles can switch. Absolutely. And over time, roles can switch. Yeah, absolutely. So this chart you brought mm-hmm. um, that our great listeners cannot see, maybe yeah. we can break <laughs> it down for them a little bit. Yeah, for sure. Basically, there's two circles on here. Mm-hmm. There's love avoidant and love addicted. Mm-hmm. Um, so what exactly does does like this love avoidant here mean? It says fears intimacy, then abandonment. Yeah. So with the love avoidant, there is a fear of intimacy because there was potentially some enmeshment with a caregiver. And that doesn't necessarily mean sexual enmeshment. That could just mean one of the caregivers overused the child for emotional support. Does that yes. make sense a little yeah. bit? Yeah, no, there's there's a term for it. It's uh, something emotional incest. Yeah, emotional incest. That's it. Good job. Um, and so with that, then they get too overwhelmed. Want, they, they need that. So it makes them feel it's familiar. Like, okay, I can help someone like I did my parent or like I did this person. Um, it's in their history to be that. Their self-worth comes from rescuing. And then um, once they get overwhelmed by the neediness, even though it's in their history, then they feel like they have to escape the relationship. And um, But eventually they come back because they have the underlying fear of abandonment. Okay. Like lo- looking back at my own personal history, I can see how I've been like love avoidant and dated women that are love avoidant. Okay. And I okay. feel like... Whenever that happens, it's like you choose, like yeah. you don't choose. That's the wrong word. But, mm-hmm. uh, but unconscious. Uh, yeah, it's unconscious. Unconscious, unconsciously, I became the opposite of whatever the situation Absolutely. was. Absolutely, because you want to make it work. Yeah. Because the fantasy of love. Yes. Which is not in your functional adult or your highest self. So the goal eventually with the work that I do, and it happens, is for the client um, to be in their functional adult or their highest self. So what do you mean by highest self? So your highest self knows that you matter, not based on what you do or what you don't do. You know that you can set boundaries with people, and it doesn't have to be aggressive. It can just be in your head, hey, that's a boundary that I have. Um, That's a limit. And that you can also set those limits for yourself. The next part of the functional adult or highest self is that you practice self-care. So taking care of you, prioritizing you. And then the next part is relational. And this is something that I struggled with was to be relational. So that means that you communicate um, in healthy ways. So you're not, and I would go in my little girl more than I would my teenage. 
So when you're in your younger kiddo, you maybe won't speak up or say what bothers you and stuff like that. But when you're in your teenager, you probably overdo it. Interesting. Um, does that make sense? Yeah. So for you'll sure. like be aggressive and be like, you need to listen to me and da da da. Or yes, one hundred percent. I think for myself, in most of the situations I was in, I would be the aggressive. Teenager. You'd be in your teen. Yeah. 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 So usually, someone that's more teen and someone that's more little will get together, and and that usually is tough because. Um, they have different kinds of trauma, which obviously is the reason why they're together. Yeah. Um, but they don't understand each other. So sometimes, like when two people that when they're in a regression, that's what I call it, a regression. Interesting. When you're acting like a teen, and we still do it. I've been in tons of therapy, and I'll still have moments where I'll not be able to say no or something like that. And I'm like, okay, Lauren, what's coming up for you? Let's tap back into your functional adult and going get, back to the crime scene. Yeah. So, and it's an it's energy work too. So your functional adult is on the right side of your body, your inner child is on the left. Interesting. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah. So you feel like sometimes you would go to teen. Yeah. Well, th- there was one particular relationship that I had in my twenties. Like for me, what, what I would do is I would never be in a relationship. I was always in a situationship. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Like repeatedly. And I didn't realize that I love this particular uh, girl. I mean, at the time I was maybe 22, she was 20. Mm-hmm. And it was the first time I really, there was a lot of good things about it mm-hmm. as well. There was a lot of uh, healthy things where I felt safe and all of that. But it started out to where... I was just like, I don't want to date. I don't want a relationship. Yeah. We're just friends. We're just hooking up. Yeah. yeah it sounds exactly. like you were leaning more toward the love avoidant. But as the relationship got underway, I went you over. Flip. Yeah, I flipped. Because the fear of abandonment kicks in. And then when the fear of abandonment kicks in, you turn into more of the love addict. Yes. Does that make sense? 100%. Okay. Yeah. So love addict, mm-hmm. uh, fears abandonment, then intimacy. Mm-hmm. So- what does that look like? So someone that's more love addicted, I would say, which obviously like it can vary depending on your history. And that's why it's so important to go back and look at like what did childhood look like and what narratives do you still have running that don't serve you? Mm-hmm. But so for the love addict, what I've seen is that they can be a little bit more needy and... um which again, the love of winning is like, all right, well, this works because I know how to take care of a parent or a caregiver who's needy um, and that kind of thing. So they do that. And then eventually they get into this place where they almost go into like their teenager. So once the love avoidant kind of backs away or is like, I need to, I need space. I can't handle this then that's when the person that is in that state, if they're in their love-addicted state, they go into the teenager, they go into rage or addiction of a drug or something like that um, in order to cope with what they thought was the addiction, which was the fantasy of love. Well, let me ask you this. Yeah. (laughs) I've been thinking a lot about romantic love lately. Mm -hmm. And now I'm of the opinion that romantic love shouldn't necessarily be unconditional. Mm -hmm. 
And I say that because like love with a, a family member or something like that, I feel like that should mm-hmm. be un- unconditional. Mm-hmm. You know, they love you at your best and your mm-hmm. worst. But in a relationship, you have to show up. Absolutely. You have to do your part. And if you're not doing your part, mm-hmm. then you shouldn't be withheld. Love should not be withheld from you, mm-hmm. but it should be a conversation. Yeah. You know? I think I think in movies and in, in music and in, in many forms of media, mm-hmm. we see romantic love as the greatest conquest. Mm-hmm. Does that yeah, make sense? Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. And it's like, um, even Yellowstone, and obviously we love, I don't know if you watch Yellowstone. I've seen a few episodes. So we love Rip, and we love his love for Beth, but um, I'm sure pe- most people will know. But obviously she, like, has hooked up with other guys, and she does all these these things. And so um, you're right. It's like the goal would be to be interdependent, and it's that you wouldn't stay if it's not a healthy situation. But... But I feel like most people, and maybe it's not most people, but just like in my own observations, I know a ton of people now who are, well, I'm I'm 30 now. So I know a ton Mm -hmm. of people who are married, divorced, Mm -hmm. like had kids during their marriage or before their marriage. Mm -hmm. And now they're on another set of kids with another relationship. Mm -hmm. So I think a lot of it is in your 20s, it's kind of like a trial and error process. Mm -hmm. You're really just trying to keep the train on the tracks because you're learning how to be an adult. Yes. Um, And it's the same way in dating in relationships. Absolutely. And everything, in my opinion, it comes down to negotiation. Mm -hmm. Like you have to know what you're willing to negotiate from and Mm -hmm. what your big points are and issues that Things you can not put up with, but th- like flaws you can accept in someone. Yeah. Because everybody is flawed. There's mm-hmm. no way to avoid that. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. So the foundation of love is respect. So if there is no respect for the partner, then there is no love. Um, and then the top of a love situation is unconditional positive regard. And I think that's earned over time. I agree with that. So, and then one thing that I think is cool, so I've looked at your astrology chart and we talked about that a little bit before we started the podcast, is that your Venus, which is how you love people, is in Libra. And so Libra is the sign of balance. So I liked it when I heard you say earlier about negotiation and communication. So um, Libra is very much like, okay, like, are the scales even? Let me hear your side. Let's figure this out. Um, Interesting. Yeah, I... I never used to be that way. Mm-hmm. I would start off relationships, love avoidant, mm-hmm. and end up as love addicted. Mm-hmm. Um, and it was just through enough times and it, like that I learned. And plus, like I had only ever dated women in Maine where I was from. Mm-hmm. And then I moved to a big city mm-hmm. from a, a small town at, and when I was in my mid-20s. And it's just, you're in the jungle when you're in yeah. the city. You're in the dating jungle. For sure. <laughs> Especially now with like Tinder and Hinge. Hinge and all the apps, yeah. It just became too too easy and too mm-hmm. impersonal for me. Okay. But you were in your mid-20s then. Yeah. Yeah. And that's when I kind of woke up and I, re- I realized there's something going on. There's something going on with me. You mm-hmm. know, I'm that... I'm not, 
I'm not connecting it in a healthy way. Mm -hmm. I didn't know what normal was. I had no frame of reference Mm -hmm. for any kind of normality Mm -hmm. in terms of relationships or dating. Mm -hmm. Um, And the other thing that happened that was different than Maine is uh, like you, I, I started developing this bad habit because I had it done enough times to me of ghosting someone. Yeah. Mm hmm. Well, and it seems like the easy way out, but it's not you and your functional adult where you're being relational and being communicative and authentic. Obviously, I mean, if you went on one date and you both know that you didn't hit it off, then that is kind of different. Maybe y'all don't text each other. But if you've connected with someone and you can tell that they like you, then then you're not being in your functional adult to not communicate with them. Yes. So that's part of the adult. And then the last part of the adult that I didn't say earlier is that you're able to be open and spontaneous and also be in moderation. So, um, what does that mean? So, to put it like in different terms, you're not a shit ass or a tight ass. Okay. Like you're in the gray area. You don't like, um, you're not too closed off and you're not too just all over the wild, place man. and wild. Anyone that's really struggling with addiction, Um, I like to look at it like there's a hose above our head connecting us to source energy. And that is what connects us to our functional adult or our highest self. When you're in addiction, you can kind of kink your own hose. And it's not that source, God doesn't want to continue flowing all that love to you. It's just that you're kinking your hose. Does that make sense? And you're stopping the connection from Mm -hmm. happening. Yeah, you're stopping the connection. Absolutely, that makes sense. Mm -hmm. Like, I am obsessed with the idea of, okay, what is the best version Mm -hmm. of myself? Mm -hmm. What is the the absolute maximum version of me on this planet, Mm -hmm. in this existence? And I think the the reason I get up every day is is chasing that. Mm -hmm. That's an addiction for me now. It's, it's mm-hmm. finding Your out. purpose. Yes, my purpose. Mm-hmm. Um, who that person can be. Mm-hmm. You know, it's just, mm-hmm. it's like I can see it off in the distance, mm-hmm. but I don't know what it, what it is. He's within you. Yeah. So he's your functional adult and yeah. you can tap into him anytime and I'll send you my meditation so yes, you can do that. please do. Um, yeah, but... And you obviously, you like meditating, and I yeah. listened to your meditation. It was really good. Oh, wow. Okay, thank yeah, you. Was, I didn't know if anybody would, would give a fuck about that episode. I loved it. It was so good. Thank um, you. I was, like, very relaxed. And I actually, and obviously everyone meditation, you said in the podcast, you can't do this wrong. Like, do whatever comes to you. So I met my highest self, my functional adult, whenever I went to what I saw as a garden down the stairs, and I opened the door. Interesting. So I met my highest self. And so you could do that, and I can help. You yeah. one day understand how yeah, to do that. Absolutely, I'm I'm glad that you uh, you got something out of it because mm-hmm. like that was um, such a weird episode for me because mm-hmm. um, I wanted to do something pretty different than I had done in the past. Yeah, and it was it was also much more produced on that episode too. There was like music underneath the whole time. Mm-hmm. You know, it was very uh, very third eye, but I felt like. Um, well, I'm, uh, anyway, I'm, I'm just, I'm glad. I'm glad. Yeah, that your you, energy was you great got some, you in got that. something from that. Mm-hmm. You were like very calm. It was great. If you haven't listened, I don't know the number, but go back, listen to his meditation. It's really good. Indigo Branches. I can't remember the episode number either, but that so was the, the title, Indigo Branches. I had done a bunch of um, guided meditations. Like I'd just been doing them at that point. Mm-hmm. I mean, that was just a few months ago. I've been doing it for years. Mm-hmm. 
And um, I think for a long time, one thing I always struggled with was any kind of spirituality. Mm-hmm. And I still do to a, uh, like a certain degree. Mm-hmm. Um, I need to like see it and feel it in order to, to do mm-hmm. it. Um, but meditation really helped me with that. And I think it was through like astral projection. It yeah. sounds very woo, no, yeah. but, it's, but it's real. You Absolutely. Know? Like I'm a big believer now, um, that our mind, our body and our spirit are all separate entities. You know, yeah. our, our mind is really earthly. Mm-hmm. Um, our body's also earthly, but it's the, the, means that we experience Mm -hmm. this version of reality through. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So one thing that I love is that, um, I think it's Wayne Dyer that says that we are source energy and we're having a physical experience here. Um, so that's pretty neat, but yeah, so we are spirit. We'll always be spirit. We'll never not be a soul. We'll never not be a spirit. Um, so I like that you said, you know, you think that they are, did you say differentiated or how did you say that? They're, they're all different, mm-hmm. but the, the, it's like they all have to work together. Though. Yeah. So that's why I created soul fit or that's why like, and it was spiritual how that came to me, the words, but, um, the combination of the three, yes, they are all different, but that it's important to, to become your highest self or to stay in that. And I, I always say the goal is 80% of the time to be in your functional adult because we're human and we're going to have times where we're a mess or you have some road rage or someone overwhelms you and you feel like you're in your little girl or your little boy and you're not able to speak up and that's normal. But then the rest of the time to be in the functional adult in the highest self. It takes work. Damn right. And it gets uncomfortable. For sure. I think at a, as, uh, like somewhere along the way, Um, because of my chaotic and turbulent childhood, Mm -hmm. uh, I was, I was uncomfortable trying to like better myself, Mm -hmm. you know, and do that work. But it was, it was really something that it wasn't, I was used to being uncomfortable Mm -hmm. and I didn't even know that. Yeah. I didn't know. And I think that like going back to what we were talking about earlier about 2020, I was mentally okay during that time period. Mm -hmm. Because I experienced mm-hmm. chaos at a young age. So it didn't intimidate me. Mm-hmm. When everybody started freaking out, I was just like, welcome to the big show. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. This is what reality is. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so it sounds like the pain of staying the same was greater than the pain of changing yeah, for you. for sure. And a lot of spiritual teachers like Abraham Hicks would say that if you had a lot of trauma in childhood, that you're an older soul and that you got the ball rolling early. So she would say that you chose to come in and go ahead and get this stuff on the road. Um, That's interesting. Yeah. You know, I, I again, this is something that I, I really struggle with. Like for the, sure. Con- the concept of spirituality or, or God. It's like, for me, I just, I know there's something greater than mm-hmm. myself. Like, I really think that whatever this human experience is it's something that it's every individual on this planet Mm -hmm. but it's all connected it's all running through us Mm -hmm. at the exact same time Mm -hmm. and we have different frequencies that we have to tune into Mm -hmm. and like 
I feel like I'm tuning into a better frequency, not necessarily a higher frequency mm-hmm. um, for myself. Mm-hmm. Um, and you meet people like along the way, you know, especially doing music, mm-hmm. just people that you can tell are, are addicted to drugs, addicted to alcohol. Mm-hmm. And that's a lower frequency or a worse frequency. There's more static on that mm-hmm. channel. Mm-hmm. Um, and with things like music, you look at the history of music. Mm-hmm at least in the 20th century and into the 21st century, mm-hmm. um, someone like Amy Winehouse, mm-hmm. Jimi Hendrix, Kurt mm-hmm. Cobain, all mm-hmm. of these great people mm-hmm. that had this power, they were lightning rods mm-hmm. for the divinity that is music. Because mm-hmm. music, it's, it's beautiful and special because we don't, we can't put it into words. Mm-hmm. But, but music is the sound of a feeling. It's the sound of the divine. It is. I love that. Yeah. I love that. So, yeah. And so one thing that one of my, um, well, actually my therapist would say is that um, possibly, and again, all of this is stuff for people to be curious about. I'm so open-minded. And if people don't think the same way, I'm like, that's totally fine. Like very open-minded, very just like, choose what you feel is right. This is just what I feel is right. Um, she would say that um, they had a lot going. They had a lot in the history. Maybe if you want to be curious about past lives or whatever it could be, they had a lot going and they came in um, fast and furious. And I, I think I've heard like the, is it the 27 Club or something like that? Yeah. They all passed away around that age. Yeah, all three of them, all three names that I just mentioned, they were mm-hmm. they were all 27. And, and if, if you look at the... Mm-hmm. trajectory of addiction I feel like like 25 for a lot of people is mm-hmm. the age where you either decide to get better mm-hmm. or you just keep going on the path you're on mm-hmm. you know because that's that's kind of like when your at least as a dude when your brain starts to get fully developed yes you're able to draw from experiences mm-hmm. and realize like the hot stove of a relationship not to touch it again you mm-hmm. know what I mean yes yeah like, don't go back there. Yeah. Um, yeah, for sure. And so the goal is, and I know you're really inquisitive. I liked how in Dr. Wendy's pod or the podcast with Dr. Wendy that you asked her, like, how do we get to a more secure attachment? And I think a lot of that is working on being interdependent, having your yoga, doing the things for you and your meditation. And then um, when you do enter into a relationship, slowly getting to know that other person and making sure that you have a foundation of respect first. So what would be your advice on dating? Cause mm-hmm. you just gave that right there, which I think is super valuable. Mm-hmm. It's, it's having that sense of self, mm-hmm. but as far as finding the right quote unquote partner, mm-hmm. what does that look like? Good question. So obviously I'm on that journey too. And I think for me, it's, again, making sure you have that foundation of knowing who you are and knowing that as you meet people that, okay, maybe that would be a match. Maybe it wouldn't be. Don't jump into the fantasy of, okay, like that's got to be the one. And um, seeing all these things down the road, it's like, slowly figuring out, do we have the same morals? Do we feel the same about things? How does this person treat other people? And how do they treat me? And how do I feel when I'm around them? And that kind of thing. So it's slowly figuring things out with someone. And it takes practice. It's not like 
um, once you've done a certain amount of therapy that you're, you're just like going to automatically have the right relationship. No, because even if you find a person that you are compatible with, mm-hmm. and you say, I want to be in a relationship with this person. Yeah. That's when the work begins. Absolutely. Are you familiar with Merle Haggard at all? I mean, I know a little bit of his music. He has this song called um, Today I Started Loving You Again. I love that song, yeah. Okay, so you know that one? (laughs) Yeah. I think that's the greatest love song ever Uh written because I think in a long-term relationship, Mm -hmm. you can fall in and out of love with someone. Amen. And I think that's one thing I hear so many times from clients. It's like, oh, I fell out of love, so we're going to break up. And I'm like, hmm. But do you still both have respect for each other and positive regard and the foundation? And if so, then in love is not always like, it's not always going to be like, okay, we're going on vacations all the time or things like that. There's going to be times where someone gets sick or you're more friends than you are in love, you know? It's day to day. Absolutely. It's day to day. And so, but I think I love that with the song, it's like, I really remembered like why I loved her so much, why I'm in love with her still. And so, yeah, it's, it's fluctuating. Yeah. And I, I think uh, to me that that is almost, it's better than anything. Mm-hmm. You know, I think like now I'm a little bit more world weary mm-hmm. in terms of dating. Mm-hmm. I don't think that's necessarily a bad thing either. But when I hear that song, I think that to me is what love truly is. Mm-hmm. It is like, because in, in the honeymoon period, you know, relationships start off. Right. You're probably in that six months to a year. Mm-hmm. Everything goes along swimmingly. Mm-hmm. Um, and you're willing to look past certain things. Absolutely. Or you, you're just not annoyed enough yet. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? And it's completely natural yeah. to get annoyed with someone that you're in a relationship yeah. with. Yeah, you get annoyed with your best friend, yeah. you know? For sure. So, and another thing too is the goal is intimacy and not intensity. So someone that's in this love addicted, love avoidant relationship, it feels really intense. And that's because, well, it is, it's chaos, which is usually what's in their history. And honestly, this is so common. People shouldn't feel bad about it. It's common. It's just figuring out what your patterns are so that you can be your best self for yourself and for others. That you can embrace it. Absolutely. And work on it. Notice it when it happens. Yeah. Own it. Which is difficult too. Let's talk about self-awareness for a second. So this is something that's interesting to me because I feel like it goes hand in hand Mm -hmm. with common sense. Mm -hmm. What are your thoughts on that? I agree. And I love what you said, I think, when we were on the phone about looking at the crime scene of a relationship and just sitting and reflecting of like, okay, what... Let me be aware of how can I operate differently? How did I respond that maybe wasn't super authentic to who I am and go back to that? So being aware of that and then being aware of the other person too. It's almost like a pathology. Mm -hmm. You have to see what the disease is. Well, well, you have to decide what the, see what the symptoms are first. Yeah. Before anything. Mm -hmm. Because I feel like, like for me, you know, I was having all these symptoms and yeah. I was a sick person, but I was like, I'm fine. Yeah. Um, and I'm like that when I'm sick too. I'm like, I can just keep going. It's no big deal. It's no big deal. But 
like symptoms, like you have to, you have to trace it back to that disease Mm -hmm. and see what that causes. And I wonder what that's about in your history where you feel the need to continue pushing yourself when you feel overwhelmed or... I know exactly what that is. Yeah, and we don't have to get into that, but that's just how you can be curious. I got in trouble a lot, like as a kid in in school and everything. I wasn't like a bad kid, Mm -hmm. but I was very distrusting of authority. Mm -hmm. It's definitely one of my character flaws. Mm -hmm. Along with the self-pity aspect. Mm Mm-hmm. I got, I, I get in, I would get into these ruts. I mean, this is still stuff I'm dealing with today. Yeah. I'm just aware of it now. Mm-hmm. Like a feeling, uh, sorry for myself. Mm-hmm. Woe is me. Mm-hmm. And then I would say probably the other thing, I don't know. That's not important. Yeah. It's not important. Yeah. But so whenever you notice the wounded child, um, being activated or feeling the need to like do in order to be enough, that kind of thing. For me, so, and I resonate with you on some of that where I'll go more into the wounded child than I will into my adapted kid, which is 7 to 18 to 20. Um, Then I try to think of how would I talk to a zero to six-year-old little girl? And when she's feeling overwhelmed, you know, letting her know I'm in control and it's her job at that age to be able to just be little and have fun and feel free. And I heard you say questioning authority at school, and it seems like that's probably because there wasn't healthy authority at exactly. home for you to look to. Yeah, yeah. It was like, how could I trust um, trust an authority figure? Mm-hmm. That was my other one, lack of trust. Yeah. But how can I ever trust an authority figure to make a decision for me? Because I learned at an early age that authority figures weren't trustworthy, and it's mm-hmm. not all authority figures. Absolutely. But the ones that I had mm-hmm. were not didn't have my best interest in mind, mm-hmm. and they were unconscious. Exactly, um, yeah. and w- that's what you can learn now. Obviously, as a kid, we can't understand and gain awareness of that. Like we internalize it and we carry that shame, maybe that our parents had or that fear, um, whatever it was. And that's one thing that we do in the PM model is we do feelings reduction. So. If your parents had a lot of shame or fear or whatever the feelings could be, anger, rage sometimes, then we'll do a meditation with our functional adult. I'll have my client put their inner child behind them and we'll give the rage back to the parent, the fear back to the parent, the shame. And this is never to harm like, and the parent's not actually there. It's energy work, and it's never to harm anyone. It's just because we don't need to carry that stuff anymore. It's not ours. Mm-hmm. Um, and the more that we do, the less that we can live a healthy life. Well, it boils it, its way out in resentment. Absolutely. And you take it out on your partner or your friends. Yes. You can. Or working relationships. Absolutely. Like, that was the other conflict I got into a lot with, with my, um, like, in my 20s. I responded best, though, to basically male authority figures who wouldn't put up with any shit. Because yes. there was nowhere for me to run or hide, and I had to own whatever it was that mm-hmm. I was doing. And I loved to, to be unaccountable, especially in relationships. Yeah. It was like me. Like, you were, oh, we're dating? I didn't even know. Oops. Like, yeah, what? Exactly. <laughs> like, sorry. Yeah. Um, so is that about your dad or your, your stepdad? Well, 
Is um, that yeah, why? You- yeah, probably so. Yeah, I mean, because he was just a uh, a stable authority figure. Okay, you know? so you really respect that. Yeah, one hundred percent, exactly. So my relationships with women, as as you could probably tell, weren't so good. Yeah, which understandable. Yeah, you're figuring this out. I tell my clients sometimes we're fumbling through this place with the lights off and our goal for therapy is to turn the lights on and sort through it. Um, Interesting. Okay. Mm-hmm. That makes me think of something. Do you know yeah. who David Lynch is, the director? I actually don't. Okay. So he is like a super famous director. He did the TV show Twin Peaks. Okay. He did um, Blue Velvet. He's like a really weird guy. Uh-huh. But he has a book on medica- uh, meditation called Catching the Big Fish. And w- one of the passages in the book he talks about um, there is nothing there in the light that isn't there in the dark. Mm. And you have to turn the lights on to see what's there. Mm-hmm. And he says through the act of meditation, mm-hmm. you turn the light on. Yes. So, and when you're in addiction, the lights are off. Oh, yeah. And you're in anything like that, the lights are off. And you want to keep the lights off. Yeah, because it feels better because you don't see anything. Because <laughs> you don't know it's there. Yeah. <laughs> you don't know the monster's there, but you can feel it there. You know it's there. Yeah, yeah. Underlying, you know. Yeah. And things just aren't really working out for you in a healthy way if you're in that place yeah. and the lights are off. <laughs> 100%. So what is it that someone can do to start getting into this self-work, like coming back to self-awareness, you Mm -hmm. have to acknowledge that there is a problem Mm -hmm. before you can work on the problem. Mm -hmm. You have to acknowledge that the lights are off before you can turn the light on. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I'd say start with looking at your past relationships and obviously we can all say like, oh, well, I wish you would have done that differently or that kind of thing. But looking at self and saying, okay, how did I respond that wasn't in my healthiest self, my functional adult? And I have a functional adult meditation on YouTube, and then I have a better one on my website, getyoursoulfit.com. So that can help you tap into that. But I would say starting by looking back at the past and how you've been in relationships to be aware. And going back through and doing a Mm postmortem and seeing... Mm-hmm. what you have to own, mm-hmm. and what the other person has to own. Absolutely. So for me, one of mine that I wouldn't say is a regret, but it's just something that I can look back on now at that engagement when I was 26 and know that I it was on my side of the street, was that I didn't have a healthy voice. So I wasn't able to say, hey, that bothered me, and I really didn't like that um, when that happened and say it in a calm, functional, like stern way. I would hold it in and feel sad um, and just hope that they would get that I was sad by what they they said. Yeah, that they could read my mind, which is very codependent. Um, And so, yeah, and that was my side, a big part of my side of things. And so now I'm very aware. And there's been times, obviously, even like in the past couple of years where I've been dating and I want to go to that. And then I'm like, "Mm mm-mm. Have a healthy voice. We we know our functional adults here, and we've got this. It can be very uncomfortable to do. It can. Like negotiate, and I, I know I keep using all these business terms and talking yeah. about relationships. <laughs> I love it, though. It makes sense to me. But negotiation, I think, is so important in being able to say, like if you've gone out even on a few dates with someone saying, this works for me. This doesn't work for me. Yes. As something comes up. Because I think for me, my method was just to 
drop a fucking hammer. Okay, so you would either, it sounds like you were either shit ass or tight ass. You would either ghost, um, like bye, or you'd be like, nope, this shit is not gonna happen. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, for sure, 100%. And um, as time had gone on, that that is not always the best way to deal with things in terms of dating. Mm-hmm. I think in life you have to, you do have to drop a hammer sometimes. Mm-hmm. But yeah. it's, it's very rare that you need to be, to have direct confrontation with Absolutely. Someone. People usually adhere to the parameters that you set them, especially if you do it in a healthy and assertive but calm way. You're not being accusing. You're not being... Um, condescending. You're just saying, hey, this is something that I noticed and this is important to me. You can have like a very like low key energy about it. You don't have to be overbearing. You can just say, hey, that's something that I noticed and it that's important. Yeah. It, it Again, it takes time. Practice. And practice. For sure. I've been to two therapy intensives and I'm a therapist and I do my own, I go to my own therapy. Um, so it's just a conscious approach to this. Any final thoughts? Um, no, I loved being on the podcast. Yeah, well, and I appreciate you coming on. It's um, so fun. How can people find you? So they can follow me at Lauren Gomance and it's like romance, but with a G instead of an R. Um, and then at Soul Fit Counseling, S-O-U-L-F-I-T Counseling, and that's both on Instagram. And then my website is GetYourSoulFit.com, and I have um, yoga on there and meditations, and then I've created an intensive, and it's a four-week program that people can buy if they want. Um, and so one thing that I noticed is a lot of my clients couldn't pay for an intensive because it's usually about two dollars or $3,000. And it's a week off of work. And so I was like, I want to bring this in video format so that I can work this with my clients. And other people can get it too and work it with their therapist um, in a month period rather than a five-day period. So so is there a certain framework that you have for this it's, program? It's the PMLD model. Okay. Yeah. So it's the PMLD intensive. So if you were to go to Phoenix, which is about... $5,000 to her intensive. It's basically that, but it's in four weeks instead of five days. But I totally recommend the intensives too. So if you want to look those up, there's one in Oklahoma called Green Shoe, and there's one in Plano, Texas, and that's Dr. Daniel Gowan. And then eventually I want to do my own intensive. So I'm really excited to do that, hopefully later this year. Well, awesome. Thank you so much for coming on. Thank you so much, Taylor. I loved being on the show. Thank you. See you next week. 